Welcome to the Smart Connector, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs be the leader their ideal people love. Build your influence, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. I met Maria Borelius through a mutual friend of ours, Lisa Daly, and she actually spoke at our Entrepreneurial Women event in Kensington, and I was completely overawed by her. She's a a very successful author and an entrepreneur, and she is a specialist in information and the causes of information. She is an absolutely glowing example of her own advice. She really does practice what she preaches. And so I couldn't wait to hear more about her, the secrets of her success and what brought her to that point. I think you'll enjoy this telephone interview between us. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. Today, I'm delighted to interview Maria Borelius, who is an entrepreneur and science journalist, a former Swedish minister for foreign trade, and is also author of The Health Revolution, which has sold over 130,000 copies in 13 countries across the world. Maria, it's great to have you here. Welcome. No, thank you very much. Happy to be here with you. Yes. So we've, we've had a chat prior to our interview. You've got so much to share with our listeners. So let's get into it. Tell us more about your journey. Well, uh, you know, always when I hear somebody having sort of a straight linear career, I'm always in awe of these people because that's not how my life has been or is. I'm very, I'm very, I'm driven a lot by passion. So I, I tend to work with things that I really enjoy, topics that I really enjoy. And I've done that in many formats, both as an entrepreneur, as a journalist, as a board member, I've mostly been active in the areas of, of science, of health, you can say, and of entrepreneurship in, in many different ways. You, you've been a science journalist for a long time, and then you were also a Swedish Minister for Foreign Trade. So how did that, how did that come about, Marina? Yeah, how did that come about? Very good question. Uh, I, well, I'm a trained biologist, actually, from the beginning, and then I have a Master in Science Journalism. And I started off working in um, science journalists, mostly with television. I was a producer, I was an anchor woman in Sweden. And after a while, when the digital revolution came in the 90s, me and another Swedish entrepreneur, also a woman, started one of the first digital television channels. Through that work, I got elected to a couple of boards for tech companies, for pharmaceutical companies, uh, engineering companies. Then we moved to the UK. I had four small children. My husband's job changed. And I'm a quarter British, so I decided it would be lovely to connect with our, our British roots. And in uh, in the UK, I, I set up my own company working as a consultant, mostly with strategic advice to concerning science, tech, pharmaceutical businesses. Uh, I worked a lot, actually, with Britain, when Britain was chairing the European Commission in the science and and tech area. Uh, And then I was asked to stand for Parliament back in Sweden. I'm not a super political person per se. I'm I'm interested in issues. I'm not interested in the political game so much. But uh, people convinced me that I could make a difference and I stood and I I, am... 
I got a lot of votes and very quickly became um, a cabinet minister. I then got some problems. I had 15 years, 10 years before I became a politician, had uh, a nanny. I had four small children and two sick parents. Uh, I had had a nanny that I hadn't paid the kind of employment tax, which was very high at that time in Sweden. And I told everybody about that. They said, do you have any skeletons? And I said, yeah, I do. Uh, this became a really big thing. So I resigned. I, I felt I wasn't able to do my work. So after this, very difficult experience in my life, very hard, very humbling. Yeah, I started working for a microfinance organization and I became the CEO there working out of London with Africa, with India, with sister organizations there, which when I left had more than one million women in, in the, in the schemes with entrepreneurship, wow. with health. So in a way, you know, when I look at my ministerial experience, it was very tough, but it opened my eyes to to the world and to suffering, but also, you know, the power in, in, in women, the power in entrepreneurship to change the world and that it can be a real force for good, also for very, very poor people mm. to live themselves. And then uh, since then, I've been working as a consultant, mostly with science institutions, uh, larger tech companies, strategic advice, etc. So while whilst all this professional career was going on, I, I started having some some private problems. And uh, when I, when I got into the menopause, I, I had uh, you know terrible backache. I was traveling two hundred days per year through the microfinance organization. Uh, I, I was feeling quite low. I was having I was overweight. Through a series of circumstances, through the weird thing that's called life and what happens to us, I fell into a complete new kind of health track. And so the health revolution is about sort of how I cured myself and started looking all over the world for the best science, actually curing the low degree systemic inflammation, which is linking up now to, to most major causes of disease in the Western world. So the health revolution is a story about that journey, which was kind of my private journey, was being on this professional journey. Sometimes I'm a believer and sometimes I ask God, you know, what do you really want with my life? Because there's been so many tracks, but ultimately it kind you, you kind of tend to end up with, with some kind of track that is meaningful. And I feel it's very meaningful what I'm doing now. So anyhow, this health revolution, which is a very different popular science book because on one level I'm working as a popular science writer looking for absolutely the latest in curing low degree inflammation which is linked to cancer, heart disease, obesity, joint disease, neuropsychiatric conditions etc. So on one level I'm doing that professionally and on one level I'm trying everything on myself just being a very fallible human who has lots of problems changing her lifestyle and loves a good cinnamon bun and then has to quit sugar and gluten, which is very hard. So it, I think it became a very relatable book in that sense. You know, I'm not a super professional telling people what to do. I'm kind of with the reader all the time. <laughs> yes, because because it's always a struggle, isn't it? We're only human, aren't we? We're, we're yeah. fallible creatures and no matter how much we 
we try to live the healthiest lifestyles we can and have the best diet, we are going to crack at times, aren't we? We are, and, and uh, you know, we beat up ourselves about it. Um, so that's why I'm a great believer in a sort of 80, 20, you know, 80% of the time, I basically follow uh, what I write about. And 20% of the time, I'm a happy dolphin swimming along with the other dolphins and doing what everyone else is, having a line. <laughs> You know, having that whatever, a croissant or whatever I feel like, you know, I don't think we came to earth to be super strict with ourselves and sit outside the human village with our perfect foods. You know, <laughs> we, we've got to live lives too as human beings. And, yes. we, and I'm a mother of four. I love to cook. I love friends. So, you know, I, I want to live with other people, not beside them. Mm. Well, for our listeners, uh, Maria recently gave the keynote speech at our Entrepreneurial Women event in London. And obviously, this is an audio po podcast, so I will have to paint a picture of Maria for you. And to say that she looks absolutely incredible for her oh. age, you really, really, really do. So I would say that you are an absolute living testimony of the power of, of nutrition and this anti-inflammatory message that you're promoting is is fascinating. Can you tell us a bit more about that, Maria? Yeah. So it's very interesting because, you know, when I started this journey, in my mind, I was having A, a backache, B, a muffin top, and C, feeling blue, feeling low. But what I started seeing was that there is a joint factor linking up all these things and many other things connected to not feeling your best, uh, feeling sluggish, feeling tired, blotchy skin, you know, diabetes too, etc. And it is this low degree inflammation. So if we think about, I mean, inflammation can be very good for us. It's basically healing mechanism. So if we cut ourselves in the skin, it'll be red, it'll be swollen. That's the repair mechanism. That's a positive inflammation, which sort of has a start, has a peak, has an end. This low degree inflammation is, li is linked to eating the wrong kind of foods, sugar causes inflammation, trans fats, environmental toxins, aging itself, stress, huge cause of inflammation. Uh, and that is linked to all increased risk of, of, of practically most of the diseases we know. It's not always a di direct causality, but it increases the risk and then the new, new thing in science is that we can actually do things to lower this inflammation. And they are linked to the type of foods we can eat. They are linked to the type of exercises we can do. They are linked to de-stressing, yoga, meditation, sleep. Actually also taking mini breaks, uh, you know, intermittent fasting. And then also to specific emotions. It has been shown that a strong positive emotions like awe, like wonder, like spirituality, like connecting to other people, like art, music, nature, can actually lower this inflammation. So the anti-inflammatory lifestyle is very much 360 degrees to make you feel better all over. And one of the effects of it is that you actually do look a lot younger. And I've seen that on people who start on this path they just start looking 10, 15 years younger after two months. It's amazing to see. Yes. And, you know, I can see that on myself because if I don't sort of look after myself properly, after two weeks, I just look a lot older. 
So it's sort of almost, for me, like a magic button to look after myself. It really resets the clock for me. Yes, that's that's absolutely fascinating, particularly for me, obviously, as a cancer survivor. I've been very, very diligent about my diet, really, ever yeah, since I was yeah. diagnosed. And, and, so, and, and funnily enough, I think that there is a side effect or a spin-off, shall we say, in terms of, I have noticed this, that I think I do look younger than my age. And I think a lot of that just yeah. comes from actually being diligent and, and rigorous about about what what you put in your mouth and and about taking daily exercise it has a huge impact it has a huge impact and it's it's so interesting because when you start working with these things you know a lot of doctors will say well you know it's not proven yet that it actually works there's a lot of science out there but there isn't yet a lot of very large epidemiological studies there a few are coming uh, there has been now a, a big study on almost 80,000 people in Sweden linking the inflammatory diet to lower mortality, for instance. Mm. But we are seeing other things too, which are very interesting. So there are some medicines that people who have diabetes can take that actually lowers the blood sugar in your blood. Now, these medicines are also sometimes given to cancer patients. So cancer patients benefit from lower amounts of blood sugar in the blood. And why is that? Well, high amounts of sugar in the blood causes inflammation and tumors love inflammation. Of course they, they do. thrive on inflammation, they hide in inflammation, they need inflammation to grow. So, so this whole sort of inflammatory track is kind of turning out to be like a if you think about the railway system it's turning out to be one of the major stations where a lot of other things are leading out from it you know it's turning out to be like a victoria station or a paddington to <laughs> other other diseases and if you can kind of block things at paddington you know it doesn't go to other places so it's interesting you've noticed this with it because I, I was thinking about that when I saw you with your skin. You, you've got this glowing skin, which is <laughs> which is a very good sign. <laughs> As I said, my diet did change, and um, I don't think my family particularly appreciated it because I went very very hardcore on the diet. So I would be eating, and I still do, mostly a vegan diet. A lot of vegetables, a lot of lentils. A lot of, well, I mean, all, all, all sorts of things. But broadly speaking, when you did your presentation, I thought, well, that is the diet that I follow. Oh, and, um, and, and it is really, really interesting because I do think I look younger than my age. And, and I've noticed mm. when, when, you know, you get into your 40s, your 50s and beyond that it's sometimes quite hard to tell how old people are because I think your outer being starts to reflect those lifestyle habits and decisions mm. and if it's visible on the outside then it's got to be having an impact on the inside right it definitely well. the skin is is you know the third largest sort of cleansing organ in the body after the liver and the kidneys so the, the skin is a reflector of your internal health but also it's a very direct link between the amount of blood sugar and how your collagen is feeling your collagen is the elasticity of the skin and when you have very high blood sugar levels, that kind of destroys the collagen in your skin. So there is, it's a direct link. I mean, there's no question about it. 
And the other thing, of course, is that I always look at people's eyes and, you know, the whites of people's eyes are also a way of, of, of sort of gauging almost like the cleanliness of their bodies. And I think the more you fill your body with um, healthy food, the whiter your eyes become. That's something else that I notice. Sure, sure. And because it's connected to the health of the liver and the so there are many, many symptoms, but it's interesting because this skin thing was the second thing I noticed when I changed. But you know what the first thing was, which was actually the most important? What was it? That was my mood, how it changed. Ah, really? Yeah, well, you know, when we are sort of 10 years old, we are open to the world. You kind of wake up and you think, oh, today's another day. What's going to happen today? You have this kind of natural sense of, of, of wonder, of being curious about other people, etc. I started getting back that a lot. You know, I felt as a woman after menopause, I became more sort of scared about the world, more, more cautious. And I, I, I now believe that was part of the inflammatory process. And when I, I lowered my inflammation through my lifestyle, I feel my whole brain chemistry changed and was rejuvenated and how can i say that well it's very interesting because there was some epic research being published beginning of of 2010 2011 which actually linked the amount of inflammation in your body to your signal substances in the brain and they are of course you know the chemical messengers that regulate your mood so there there are and we know for instance there is a link between depression and inflammation and a new trials are being started right now where you are actually trying to treat patients with depression with anti-inflammatory substances rather than the traditional medicines. I think this track is so interesting because that effect is very quick when you start on this lifestyle I have felt uh, and people I've talked to which is very interesting. That is absolutely fascinating. And the other thing that you said in your talk, Marie, which I also found fascinating, and I've been mentioning this to other people as well, is that the most powerful anti-inflammatory emotion is awe. So a sense yeah. of wonder. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know what? That's one of the reasons why we love being out in nature. It gets, mm. gets very addictive, doesn't it? Just being yeah. able to look up at the trees or you think about, you know, being being on holiday somewhere and gazing out at the at the ocean and that incredible feeling that you get when you listen to a really powerful piece of music. That that's awe, isn't it? Mm. So yeah. it's so it's so interesting this whole awe thing because it's for free. It's there for everyone. And I think we sort of think about exposing ourselves to beautiful art or music as just a little extra in life but what if it is fundamental to our own biological healing so i'm i'm, I'm actually writing a book now about awe and wonder as a, a biological healer for us and it's interesting because there are two types of awe and all this is you know exact biometric science it's not fluffy so I've been working here with one of the leading experts in this area who is an associate professor at the University of Toronto, was before at Stanford University. And there is the individual law, there is, and she has measured the effects on, on one of the anti-inflammatory markers in the saliva, the IL-6, it's called. You've got the nature all, and there are two types of nature which has been proven to, to 
create more awe than others, and one is actually sunsets. Mm. So sunsets that are very rich in color, and you, you can enjoy those both in city and in the countryside, yeah. and also standing somewhere where you can feel, you know, the vastness of nature. So you have, you're you on a hill or you maybe are looking, you know, up at the, at the night sky where you have this sense of you are little in, in something that is so much larger than yourself and, and so much more wonderful. And then you have the music, you have the art, you can have very strong sort of literature experiences. Those are individual types of awe, but then there is the collective awe so that, that's spirituality with others. That's doing good for others. If you engage in, you know, the Red Cross or Amnesty or, you know, you are reaching out or you are just doing something for the homeless in your community, you are reaching out to people beyond and you are going out and above yourself, so to say, with others. That is healing for us. And also actually going to big sports events like a football match. You're yes. watching in your telly, but actually going out to the arena, being there with your chums, cheering on your team. That's super healing. Well, so, I, I just think I just think that's so fascinating because of course I'm obsessed with the topic of connection. Okay. And, um, yeah. This is what what you're describing is uh, is also for me it is representative of connection. Mm. Mm connection with the universe, connection with the collective spirit, if you like, that mm -hmm. that links all of us. And I re so I really love that. I think it's it's powerful, very powerful. The the other thing I wanted to uh, ask you about, Maria, is obviously my audience are are mostly entrepreneurs and we love to get inspired because a lot of the time we, we work by ourselves. It can be a bit of a lonely journey we love to get inspired by other people so can you also get awe from do you think from listening to people talk about incredible ideas and do you think that comes into the category of awe or is it very specific to those instances that you described well because i'm a science journalist i'm sort of careful with my facts so that was not measured in her studies Mm -hmm. But we can all feel in ourselves when we get this strong, big emotion, yes. uh, you know, this rush of something. And maybe also by listening to others, we can go out and expose ourselves to, to more awe. So definitely, I do think that on a personal level, but it hasn't been proven to that extent by science. But I think, you know, as, as an entrepreneur myself and working with many other entrepreneurs, this whole thing of connecting with others, even if we do a lot of work sometimes on our own, and, and that's part of, of all types of jobs, being in, in a flow with other human beings. You know, I'm a biologist too by beginning, and, and it's interesting if you, if you look at Homo sapiens, our species, if there was like an Olympic game for all species on earth, you know, we wouldn't win a single competition as a species. We're not the strongest. <laughs> we are maybe not the most intelligent. We are not, you don't have the best claw or teeth. We would win one competition and that is in collaboration. Ah, oh, that's, that's a very interesting. So, so our, our brain is entirely wired to interplay in a very intelligent and dynamic way with others. So our sort of social intelligence is enormous. You know, we are wired to 
get input from mothers and develop ourselves by mirroring ourselves in others. So, you know, even if you are an entrepreneur working mostly on, on yourselves, that, that's absolutely essential for, for you as a, as a human being and as an entrepreneur. I, I, I do agree with you. And also, I think that you create so much more by reaching out to others. And I've, I've learned that. So being a woman sometimes is easier. I'm always thinking when I'm out driving with my husband and we, we're lost, he never wants to ask anyone where we are. I never have a problem with that. And usually my technique gets us there quicker. And as an entrepreneur, I find that if you reach out, you ask people for advice all the time, they become co-creators of your own success and it becomes their success too. You know, they want to take part in it. They want, because it gives people joy to help others and reach out to others. And, and we can use that as entrepreneurs too. So, so not to be so afraid of asking for advice, mm. following up and said, I really listened to you. I did what you said. It became an enormous success. Thank you for that. And, you know, maybe perhaps I can come back to you in a year's time and ask if you want to collaborate further or some, you know, I do that a lot all the time, both when writing books and doing my other job too. Mm, very interesting that you should mention that because I'm doing some, some work on the Robert Cialdini influence and persuasion concepts at the moment. And one of the things that he says is that asking somebody for a favor sets up the principle of influence because, yeah. Yeah. You, as you said, you are enrolling them in your success. And people do respond very well to that. It's, it's, uh, sets up the, the, the law of reciprocity. It's basically getting the wheels in motion. But I also wanted to say that because I, I coach quite a lot of male entrepreneurs and, and I help them step into their power and really grow their own um, confidence and masculine energy along with their leadership of their businesses. And this is something that I find a lot of a lot of men struggle with and yeah. women don't necessarily struggle with because we're not conditioned to be problem solvers first and foremost. So we don't have necessarily these these issues. But although obviously it can be very good to be a dynamic problem solver, that's of course, you know, essential as an entrepreneur, those softer skills of connection are the thing that insulates us from so much yeah i agree with you but then you know i've, I've talked to a lot of, of of men about this and if it doesn't come from their heart they can just see it as a sort of a tactical way of operating yes uh, uh, you know that uh, let's say you get a piece of advice from somebody you're talking to and you go ahead and you actually follow up on that i think that was a good piece of advice to call back to that person and said, I really listened to you a year ago and I've set up the thing. You, you, you gave me that piece of advice and I, I, I did that. And actually it went really well. I mean, you're providing immense value to that person. And that is a kind of social capital that you can yes. use later on. So to be generous with that because you are adding value to that person's life. And I think also, you know, we talk a lot about earning money. Uh, having power, all of these attributes. But what people really want is meaning. And the thing with money and power is that they provide meaning to people. They are symbols of meaning. And, and when you are telling people they have contributed in some way, you are providing meaning to them. Yes. 
Exactly. And uh, and people feel good about themselves, and that is something you can uh, you can work with. You know, not in a manipulative way, but in a in a positive way. I'm always, you know, I listen to people. Uh, I go back to them. I'm 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 a I'm a good combination. I hope sometimes on my best days are both feminine and male energies. So I'm very <laughs> go-getting. I do a lot of stuff, but I also I, I try to listen a lot and I try to listen for the deeper meaning of what people say. And um, that can be very useful. Yes. And like you, I've I've worked for most of my career in very, very male dominated environments. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've sat on a lot of boards, haven't you? And you've been um, working in tech and in finance. And so you've, you've done that a lot as well. And that is yeah. just something that we we discussed prior to the the interview so so tell us about that that experience of being being a woman in in that very very male dominated yeah it's interesting you have that experience too jane but uh, well first when i came in i was very self-conscious and sort of felt i had to put on a kind of straitjacket so i sort of felt i had to hang my femininity outside the door if you see what i mean and be very much my scientific self, numbers-oriented, facts-oriented. You know, one one of the people who really inspired me was actually Angela Merkel in Germany, who I think is interesting. She's a trained, I think, physicist. Mm-hmm. She has very logical brain, but she also has a softer listening side. And I was thinking of all the women I really admire, they, they combine in a very cool way the best of both stereotypes, if you see what I mean. So I started being more myself and that you can actually combine that kind of rational thinking side with, you know, more listening, cracking a joke, you know, being a bit more emotional. And, and that combination can be so powerful. But it takes a bit of courage. Haven't you felt that too? Well, <laughs> I just like to be myself wherever I go. And, yes, you know, yes. some people like that and, and some people don't. But I don't even notice really whether people are um, a male or female so much now. I've had it my entire career that I've always been in a minority. You know, I like being around that, that masculine energy, but I also think that, that uh, most men really like it as well. They like to, to have women I mean in their orbit who are competent and and great at what they do and supportive and so you know I I I think that it's it's healthy it's healthy really and I worked in Sweden quite a long time ago actually Mm -hmm. I I um did a massive car launch there is Saab I don't know if you if you remember them now defunct sadly but I I, I was back and forth back and forth for a whole year planning the the launch of this car so I I actually got to stay in Sweden quite a lot and I I was absolutely amazed when I went there and saw the the level of women in the workplace Mm. because of course the laws were completely different so even on the factory floor at Saab, half the workforce were, were female because mm-hmm. the childcare was subsidized. The laws were just very, very different and really set up to um, promote equality. And that had quite a profound impact on me, actually, because it was just so different to this, to this country. 
But do you think that's been a good thing or a bad thing for Sweden in general? Well, um, yeah, it's interesting with your experiences. First of all, SOB still exists, you know, but today it only sort of the military and, and the planes are still there, but not the cars, sadly. Yeah. I would say it's too faced, the, the Swedish equality. You have the quality for the general woman is, is in that sense, fantastic. If you have a nine to five, uh, but if you are aiming in your life for, you know, a kind of high level position, it's very, very difficult because the system is made for, you know, the standard woman, so to say. So she works nine to five. She picks up her child or the husband from the daycare exactly at four o'clock or whatever. But if you are somebody who as a manager needs to work longer hours, this daycare doesn't work. And then the taxes are so high that you cannot afford anything on the side. Mm. So you have, I have in my family, among my friends, former colleagues, a lot of women who crash and burn out. Okay. And, and, and the level of, you know, burnout, stress, tiredness in women between 30 and 40 who are on sick leave is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a price at the other end of this. And, I'm not saying that what Sweden has done is bad in any way. I'm just saying it's not the final solution. Mm -hmm. You use a terrible word, which has a lot of other connotations. But, you know, and I'm seeing what I'm seeing in the UK is a much higher tolerance for diversity mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how you live your life. So in Sweden, it's a very standardized. Uh, do you work 60%, 70%, 80%? And for women who don't work, they're almost stigmatized. Okay. Where you don't work as a woman only if you are, if you are sick. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you always work or you are frowned upon. Also in Sweden, I have I have met very few men who are at home with their children and the woman working, and, and I met that in the UK. So mm. I, I I think what we Swedes can learn from the Brits is a higher level of tolerance for that families do different choices with their lives and you know and that you can be a bit kind and generous around that and not judge other people sweden is a very small society and people very quickly judge others having said that you know i've had my children in the swedish daycare system and and that's been fantastic but uh, it's it's not the system doesn't give all the answers i can't say that Mm. Well, I suppose it's always complex, isn't it? Um, it is complex, and maybe yes. I, I have a I have a kind of slightly different way of thinking about this. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but I think one of the big problems is that we in the Western world tend to look at careers the way that parents did, or maybe grandparents, that you should, you know, optimize your career around the age of forty. And if you haven't gotten anywhere at the age of forty, you are kind of a lost creature. So that puts so much pressure on people because as child bearing kind of is coming later and later in life. So you are supposed to work maximal hours when you also have your small children. And that's not a sustainable equation. No. So, so I think we should, uh, you know, celebrate the fact that we are healthier, we live longer. A woman who comes out and starts working maybe at the age of 40 um, and the children are, you know, maybe 10, 15, she can be a tremendous resource. She has 25 years to work. Mm. Uh, and the same with a man. So to celebrate people who are 
slightly older. And then if we start living down the inflammatory lifestyle, we are going to be so fit and so energetic, you know, that, <laughs> that we are a super force also. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. I mean, I certainly with myself, I don't feel any less energetic than I did in my twenties. I really don't. I, you know, I certainly do have a fair degree of stress in my life, but I have a lot of energy. And I do think that that comes from, as, as you said, very simple dietary choices, the choice to take exercise every day, and just that, those very simple habits. Exactly. Exactly. So I think reevaluating sort of the career age curve mm. would be a very powerful way of you know, if, if people feel that you can start making careers after 40, it would make them feel less stressed about having done everything before 40. Definitely. And that would put less stress on both young men and women. I sometimes find when we talk about men and women and children and childcare and all of that, it becomes like a tug of war between the man and the woman. And, and that start thinking about it as an age thing and as a life development life curve thing would take a lot of stress from people so, so uh, my father was an entrepreneur he ran a business with about 25 employees he did really well and he was sort of always a very innovative person and he said the big secret to success is to harness the power of women 50 plus and he had oh, well, that, that's you and me then <laughs> yeah he's he had a secretary who he made coo of the whole company Mm. And he said it was the best decision he had ever done. And she was just a phenomenal lady who just like, she was like a pattern, you know, she was like, a, a and, and then he could be out with the customers all the time, which suited him. Yeah, he was before his, his time, but he was brought up by a strong, strong, strong mother. So yeah, maybe he learned from her. Oh. Well, Maria, I just wanted to thank you for a wonderful interview. It's been so inspiring. And your book's called The Health Revolution, right? And and it's published by HarperCollins, did you say? Yes, HarperCollins in the UK. Okay. Yeah, Health Revolution. I'm on Amazon if, if people are interested in a bit of a, a new lifestyle. Okay, so so it's The Health Revolution. I'm certainly going to purchase my, my copy after our call because I'm I'm incredibly inspired now and raring to go. I'm going to look for more opportunities to incorporate awe and wonder into my life particularly i'll seek out sunsets <laughs> and uh, gaze up at the stars and do all those all those wonderful things so thank you so much for joining us today maria it's been really great to thank have you jane thank you jane for having bye -bye. me bye-bye bye thanks for listening to the smart connector podcast if you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to janebaylor.com and order a copy of my free report on building your personal brand. I'd love to connect with you on social media. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss a show. Thanks for listening in and see you soon.